You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. How do I help somebody like this graciously but faithful to the scriptures? Because studies show kids don't leave their faith for doubts. It's for unexpressed doubts. When sexual health training begins is really the moment a kid comes out of the womb. I can live without sex, but I cannot live without intimacy. Dear young married couple, have you ever had questions about homosexuality as a parent or even as a believer? Well, today we're going to talk to Sean McDowell on how Christians could think about homosexuality and how to have this conversation with loved ones or even your kids. Dr. Sean McDowell is so full of wisdom on this subject. He's written lots of books. He's a professor at Biola University, and actually Adam had him as a professor. He did. Um, so he's an apologist. He has a master's degree in theology, a master's degree in philosophy, and a PhD in apologetics. So he is um, gonna share so many good nuggets today and just perspective on relationship, but also theology. So you're in for a treat. And if this is a, an area where there's a lot of pain for you, whether you have loved ones or you're trying to navigate this as a parent, this video is going to bring you hope and comfort. Welcome Dr. Sean McDowell to the podcast. We're so honored that you're with us today. Adam and Carissa, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Man, well, we're excited to talk to a, a thought leader in, in the Christian circles, and um, I was honored enough to have you as a professor, and so it's right. fun to have you on this forum. Yes, thank you. We're, uh, we love the work that you do in apologetics, but more importantly, um, you apply the work that you do. You're not an egghead that just studies and writes and puts research <laughs> out there, but you're doing practical application in ministry. And we're um, looking forward to our conversation about how to talk to your kids about homosexuality today. Well, I appreciate that. Honored to be here and a good job. You barely passed my class, Adam. No, that's not true. <laughs> you, you nailed it, did awesome. And you're doing awesome now. Proud of you and happy to join you for this conversation. Oh, Man, well, thank great. you for being willing. Well, let's just jump in. Like, this is a big, huge, sticky topic yeah. um, that isn't being talked about, I, I think. As much as it needs to as be. As much as sure. it needs to be because it's in people's churches and so just to start us off, um, why did you s tackle this subject? Um, what gave you the burden to, to start the conversation? Yeah, this is actually an interesting question because if you had told me years ago before I did, I would have said, I have nothing to say on that topic, do not want to weigh into it. But now it's probably been about 12 or 15 years where mm -hmm. almost everywhere I went, youth events, speaking events, Questions were about the Bible and topics related to homosexuality, same-sex marriage. And my mm -hmm. first thought was like, you know what? This is becoming a huge cultural topic. I don't really know what I think about this. Uh, I want to know. And there were some smart people pushing back on the traditional narrative. And I thought, if I'm going to be a truth seeker, I got to really look into what scripture says. Yeah. And so a lot of it was my own journey. 
desire to help kids along with it. But also part of what motivated me was a conversation my first year teaching, which is about, guys, maybe my second year teaching, but we're talking almost two decades ago of a young man who came in and I'll make the story quick, but he had all these life questions, was struggling about the Bible. And I tried to help him out and he stopped coming to visit me. He goes, you answer my questions, great. Months mm -hmm. later, we're at a retreat and I see him up there crying. So I went up to just talk with him and comfort him. And as I got down to it, he said, you remember I asked you all those questions? He goes, that really wasn't it. He goes, the heart of it is he goes, Sean, I'm gay. And if I keep living, my life is a living hell. If I die, I feel like I'm going to go to hell. Wow. And two decades ago, I remember that hitting me going, holy cow, this kid is in anguish. Mm -hmm. He's struggling. How do I help somebody like this graciously, but faithful to the scriptures? And that was one of the experiences that got my attention. And since mm -hmm. then, it's been reading dozens of books, teaches class on this, having public debates and dialogues, and just following how this conversation has changed. Yeah. Wow. So you're talking to him as a professor and then a mentor. Talk to us from a parent's perspective. I'm sure you've had plenty of parents that come to you and say, what do I do to teach my kids? Or my kid says they're gay. What do I say to them? How do you start um, guiding a parent in this conversation? The first thing I would say is we need to think through how we're going to respond when our kids come to us with these kinds of experiences they're going through before we're in that situation. Mm -hmm. One of the brilliant things my dad did is he had thought through, what would I say or how would I respond if my daughter came and said, I'm pregnant at 15 years old? Or if my son was like, dad, I'm dropping out of school and I'm smoking pot or like whatever the <laughs> scenario might be. Sure. It's a parent's, you know, see me nightmare. He thought through so we wouldn't respond emotively and could respond with wisdom. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to kids coming out, since we're talking about the LGBTQ conversation, we need to think through how we're going to respond to this ahead of time. And the main thing that I want to do in my response is to assure a young person that I love them, that I am with them. This doesn't change our relationship and we're going to work this through together. So we can get to questions of theology. We can get to relationships. We can get to all that difficult stuff. But my initial response is going to be, thank you for sharing that with me. Because what a lot of people don't realize is if a kid comes out to a parent this kid has been thinking about it minimally for months, probably for years, and yeah. has a ton of fears about how the parents may or may not respond. Mm -hmm. And so just responding in a gracious, loving way sets the foundation to then begin to deal with some of the more thorny issues of how we're going to live this out. That's so good. So Making good. sure you prioritize the relationship and setting yourself up as an askable parent that you are safe, you are the source, and they can come talk to you, and you'll lead them to the source, God, but that it's not, you're not against them, you're for them. And it seems like there's also a negative, a narrative negative around this whole thing with Christianity, like that the, that community, the LGBTQ community, thinks that, you know, Christianity is, you know, against them and all this other stuff. So they probably have that negative ideal going into this conversation. Like they're, I hope they don't reject me, but mm. this is a very real possibility. So if that, yeah. if that parent can re react with the love and acceptance of, I love you, 
Um, mm-hmm. Man, that could really open the door for a conversation of discipleship around this situation. Yeah. The key as a whole is to set yourself up to be in relationship with this young person mm-hmm. for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Now, how we do that is where it gets difficult and sticky. And I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers. Mm. But a friend of mine who was wrestling with this, he said, you know, the changing thought came for me is not that I had to convince my daughter of an argument, but I had to convince my daughter of my love. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's exactly right. Yeah, Mm. that's beautiful. That is really beautiful. Where would you start? So let's say the parent has established their love. I'm here for the long haul. I'm here for the conversations. I'm here for the tears. Now what? Where do we go? What do we do to start really seeking truth in this situation? So I, there's a step that I would do. Say it was my son or my daughter. I'd say, hey, you just shared this with me. It's still fresh. Before we do anything else, can I take you out for coffee? I just want to hear your experience. I'm just going to ask a ton of questions. When did you start feeling this way? Who else have you told? Uh, what fears did you have before you shared with me? Did I respond like you thought I might respond? Nice. What do you think our relationship is going to look like moving forward? Mm-hmm. How does this shape the way you think about God? I mean, I just want to listen and understand the heart of where my kid is at. Yeah. Now, as a parent, the reality is a lot of parents are going to have different feelings when their kids come out this way. Mm-hmm. They could range from, does this mean I'm not going to have grandkids? I've had people tell me that thought goes through their mind. I've had people say, oh my goodness, what are my friends going to think of me? Mm-hmm. You know, a parent might have that insecurity. A parent might be thinking, oh, I failed and this is because of a lack of a father attachment. I mean, all I'm saying is there's so many different thoughts yeah. that go through parents' minds. And those yeah. are understandable uh, to varying degrees. But I would try to say, parent, when it's all said and done, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not about you. So, and I know this is a different issue. But when I was 12 years old in the 80s, my father was leading really the first sexual purity campaign that was global. It was called Why Wait, a decade before True Love Waits with a little bit of a different focus. Okay. I remember thinking, wow, my dad is doing this like global movement here and I'm starting to notice ladies, girls, like I'm in junior high. <laughs> and uh, I remember asking my dad, I was like, dad, what would happen if I got a girl pregnant? And I'll never forget what he said. He got down his knees, he looked me right in the eyes. He goes, son, I don't care if the whole world called me a hypocrite you and I would work it through together. Mm. In other words, this isn't about me. And he had a public and still has a public facing ministry. Yeah, He's like, this is about you. Wow, That's what I would encourage parents to do. So step number one, encourage your love. Step number two, do everything you can to understand where this young person is coming from, how they see the world, how they mm-hmm. think you should love them. That's step number two. And the Bible has a lot to say about listening before we speak. that's so good take the role of the listener establish rapport and take inventory when you're asking questions you're taking inventory as the listener and that's important if you don't have any information what kind of conversation are you going to have with your child Mm -hmm. yeah curiosity will get us a long way and so yeah if you're being curious and you're you're setting the tone 
do you think that it naturally follows that your child or teen will then be curious as well and start asking questions of you and engaging in responsible dialogue? Well, some of that's going to depend upon your relationship with your teen. Some it's just going to depend on your teen. Some are more inquisitive than others are. So part of me asking questions is, is this young person saying, hey, I want help with this. I want to follow Jesus. Or is this young person saying, hey, I reject my Christian faith and this is why or somewhere else on that spectrum. So Mm -hmm. a lot of their response is going to be based upon where that young person is at in their life and their faith and their identity. And a huge piece of that is going to be the relationship going into it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things start when kids are young. I tell my kids all the time, I'll say, you know, you can ask your daddy anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to shame you. I'm going to tell you what I think. Because studies show kids don't leave their faith for doubts. It's for unexpressed doubts. So if we want our teenager to talk with us about issues, have we been talking to them about issues that matter to them starting much younger? Mm. Doesn't guarantee it, that's for sure, because kids have this stubborn thing called free will. (laughs) Sometimes I wish my kids were puppets and I could just make decisions for them, but of course it doesn't work (laughs) that way and it's not supposed to. But we have a far better chance of having the kind of conversations you're talking about. If they feel loved, they feel safe, and you've been having those types of experiences and conversations as a family long before. And not just one conversation or the talk, but you're having talks throughout their entire life. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that angle. So, you know, say you have toddlers, young children, and there's no concern at all about them bringing up same-sex attraction. You're just wanting to inform them, be their source. How can parents start these conversations about homosexuality from a young age? even before there's any concern or question from their child at all. And we'll get right back to the interview, but what we wanna do is make you aware that we have a resource around this whole subject of talking with your kids about sexuality. And it's called Having the Talks. And in Having the Talks, we address things like homosexuality, transgenderism, but even just the basics of sexuality, like anatomy and identity. Um, We start the whole deck off with identity. And it's a resource for parents and children to play together. You can play it like a game. And it helps children as young as age three, all the way up to teenhood. There's um, really two decks in one because we have questions for younger children and on the other side of the card, it's a question, same question, but for older children. Yes, and this deck is designed to really bring these subjects up um, organically so that you can um, really have this discussion with them and, and open a safe place for you to be an askable parent. So you could go to havingthetalks.com and get your deck and um, it will actually reroute you to Amazon and you can get it tomorrow. Next day shipping. Yeah, if you ordered it today. All right, link in the show notes. Back to the interview. Do you know when when sexual health training begins is really the moment a kid comes out of the womb? That's good. Now, they you, you can't talk with them in the sense of they're going to respond and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. But the tone of the voice that we use, how we hold them, how we touch babies in appropriate, affectionate ways mm-hmm. is shaping their brains and shaping their attachments or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. So the 
earliest things we can do is be attached with our kids, build relationships with the kids, give them a sense of security and safety. That's step number one that really, in some ways, you could argue it's taking place within the womb. But the first things we can actively do is when they come outside of the womb. Yeah. And then just in age-appropriate ways, talking with our kids about sexuality. Mm -hmm. So my concern is less quickly talking them about LGBTQ issues, yep. but giving them a positive view of sexuality. And that comes from, do we live it out in our families? If you don't have a compelling relationship with your spouse, it doesn't matter what you say. It's going to fall on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. But if kids feel loved and they feel like you love your spouse, then you have a much greater opportunity to speak truth into them. So and you're right. It's not the talk. It's individual talks that come up through the just daily experience in life in ways that are age appropriate, according to their attention span. Mm -hmm. You just speak truth and don't freak out. So this isn't a toddler, but la my son's 10 now. And when he was eight, we're driving, I think, home from school. And my daughter was 13. So she mentioned something about abortion. And he's eight. He goes, Dad, what's abortion? Well, some people freak out. Don't ask that and change the subject. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, that's a really good question, buddy. An abortion is sometimes a woman will get pregnant and for different reasons decide she doesn't want to keep the baby. Well, why would she decide that, Dad? I gave a few reasons. Well, how does somebody perform an abortion? I'm thinking, okay, to an eight-year-old, how do yeah. I explain this? It's good. Typically, yeah. I tell more than I should, and my wife maybe tells less, which is why kids <laughs> need a mom and a dad <laughs> that healthy tension. Mm -hmm. yes. But I'm just thinking through. I don't want to freak out. This is an opportunity. How do I build bridges and help my son or daughter at that age begin to think Christianly about this topic. That's awesome. I love that example. That is so good. So do we, when it comes to homosexuality, do we wait for opportunities? Um, and I love how you described it as an opportunity, but when a child asks a question in the car or they see two men holding hands and they ask you about that, or do we prompt them with, hey, this happens, kiddo, and I want to tell you about it. And this is how we do it. This is what God says about it. And if you ever have questions about it, I'm here. Like, do we do we prompt them with those conversations at age four, five, and six? Or are we waiting for them to ask us? I mean, it's hard to say exactly the age. Four and five is pretty young in some fashion to talk about things like homosexuality and same-sex relationships. But... On the other hand, I probably would prompt a four or five-year-old. I'd be talking about sexuality and, you know, just modeling and having that broader conversation again mm -hmm. in age-appropriate right. ways. But the hard part is in culture right now, you just see a Disney movie. You just, it, it's everywhere. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it is. inescapable. It is. So in some ways, we are sadly forced to talk about a whole lot of stuff before we would like to. I read all the California sexual health standards that came out in 2019. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about posters in the room, guest oh, yeah. speakers, books that kids read, right. going all the way back to kindergarten, Yep, which is about five years old. Yep. So they understand that a kid is forming their worldview at that mm -hmm. stage. So mm -hmm. sadly in our culture, we kind of have to talk about it and be ready 
again, just in age appropriate, positive ways. That's, That's what I try to do with my son. Again, he's a little older at this stage, but we were just watching Thor Love and Thunder. And there's a few things that come up in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm careful that I don't say here, there's an agenda in this film. And these people like I'm not making it us versus them. I'm not being negative. Yeah. I'm saying, hey, do you see this, buddy? Mm-hmm. Why do you think this is included in a film? Mm-hmm. What does scripture say about this? And yeah. it's just an opportunity to talk with him about it. It's good. So good. So mm-hmm. how should, that's a loaded word, but, or how could Christians talk Christianly mm-hmm. about this subject? How would you try to describe this state that we find ourselves in American culture where this agenda is being pushed, but how could we think about this whole thing going on? So in some ways, how we communicate this is going to depend upon a kid's age and ability to process Mm -hmm. certain things. But I'm going to consistently go back to God's design Mm -hmm. and say, you remember back at the beginning of the Bible, what does it say? It says God is the one who made us Mm -hmm. male and female, tells Mm -hmm. us to populate the earth. There's something unique about men and women. They're the same, but different. So I want to pull back to God's positive design for marriage and sexuality. Because number one, that's what the Bible does. Throughout the Old Testament, although people didn't live it, God's design and sexual ethic was consistently pointing back towards creation. Mm -hmm. We see Paul do this in Romans 1. We see Jesus do this in Matthew 19. So -hmm. that's the biblical model. That's Mm -hmm. what I also want to do with kids. So even with my kids, I might ask them a question. I might say, hey, if you have a friend with two dads, how do you treat your friend? Good. So you're giving them hypothetical scenarios and figuring out what do you think about this? Absolutely. I'm saying, Mm -hmm. what do you think Jesus would want us to treat this person? Uh, Because when I was growing up, I'm older than both of you. In the 90s, it was all hypothetical. There were rumors about a friend. It was creeping up in TV shows. Now it's everywhere yeah mm-hmm. it's it everywhere this is the culture we swim in mm-hmm. so yes. i think it's an opportunity to train our kids love our neighbors with a biblical worldview mm. that's good it's good what are your thoughts kind of jumping more into the theology here what are your thoughts on young people um older adults that come to you whether in ministry or in just maybe a challenging theological scenario and asking you know what about just being celibate what about having same-sex attraction and not acting on those on those attractions and living a life that is you know biblical in terms of sexuality well in that question too is all why did god make me this way sure yeah how do you how do you start responding to someone who says like i'm committed to live in a godly way but i have same-sex attraction I would respond to that and say, good for you. I think that's beautiful. I think that's honoring to the Lord. And practically, I point them towards people like my friend Christopher Yuan, Sam Albury, uh, Rachel Gilson, who was single with same-sex attraction for a while now, is actually married to a man. Mm-hmm. Models of people living that out with integrity and good relationships mm-hmm. so they can see that it's doable and what this means. That's okay. practical. 
the other thing we've kind of missed since you framed the question theologically is I, I wrote a book for, for students called Chasing Love. Okay. And I read all the books on sexual purity I could find over the past couple of decades for adults and for kids. And rarely did people talk about singleness. It's kind of an assumption that everybody's going to get married. And if you just follow this prescription of not having sex and keep yourself pure, God will provide for you the spouse of the opposite sex. And you'll have a great, wonderful marriage, awesome sex, and a lot of kids. It's what some have called the sexual prosperity gospel. Yeah. And you'll be happy. And, and you'll be happy, of course. <laughs> and when the Bible doesn't teach that. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. it's false hope. It makes an idol out of marriage as beautiful and as important as marriage is. So in Chasing Love, I thought I'm going to talk about God's design for sex. I'm going to talk about God's beautiful design for singleness. And then I'm going to talk about God's good design for marriage. Mm. Mm. You look in 1 Corinthians 7 and Matthew 19, both Paul and Jesus talk about the goodness and beauty of singleness. In fact, Paul even kind of says... I wish you all were like me. That doesn't right. get preached a lot. No, it's not popular. It's it's <laughs> just not. So when that, I was printing out an early chapter on singleness in my book, and there was somebody who saw the chapter who's single and read it, and in tears talked to my wife and was like, why don't we talk about this more? Mm. So often felt like a second-class citizen, which is not how the Bible talks about singleness. Yeah. Right, right. That's beautiful. I love that you're able to um, to say not only is celibacy and singleness an option for someone with same-sex attraction, but it's also an option for anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. uh, uh, their marriage might be God's plan for you, but it might not be. Mm. What would you say God's design for sex would be? I think there's three biblical purposes for sex. Number one, make babies, Genesis 1, 27. Multiply, fill the earth. Number two, Genesis 2, 24. It says, man shall leave his father and mother, cling with his wife, and the two shall become one. Unity. Mm -hmm. So procreation, unity. The third purpose of sex, I think, is to foreshadow heaven. That's good. Now, what I don't mean is that there will be sex in heaven. That is decidedly not my point. What I am saying is that sex is one way in this life of experiencing intimacy with somebody where you can know and be known that anticipates the deeper kind of knowing we will have in heaven. Yeah. So it would often describe, especially in the King James, that Adam knew his wife Eve. Right. Abraham knew his wife, Sarah. In Hebrew, that's Yadah. We think of sex purely physically. Biblically, it's framed relationally. Now, you go back to the garden. When there's sin, what happens? There's sin, there's shame. and shame, we cover ourselves. Yeah. Right. But in sex, somebody uncovers themselves. They're naked and not ashamed. Mm -hmm. So it's meant to be where in all your glory and all of us have our imperfections and yeah. insecurities mm -hmm. in some fashion, you're still able to love and be loved back. Yeah. Mm. That's a signpost of when we get to heaven. We're no longer wearing a mask, and I don't mean a COVID mask. I mean putting on a persona to be somebody that we're not. Right. God knows us. Others know us. And we're able mm. to love God 
intimately and be loved back amidst our weaknesses. That's the deepest yearning of the human heart. Now, I just want to make one clarification. We got to be careful not to confuse sex with intimacy. You can have sex with somebody without being intimate. You can be intimate with somebody without having sex. But God's design is that in sex, you're present in body and soul and spiritually and emotionally and relationally, and you know and are known back. That is one way of foreshadowing the way we will know and be known in heaven. And by the way, if I'm right, we can see why Satan is so intent on corrupting how we understand sex. If he can corrupt how we understand sex, he can corrupt how we understand heaven. And corrupt how we are supposed to understand singleness. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it seems like God still wants all those things for those that are single. So what would the prescription for someone trying to live a, or just are single, what are they trying to do here? How, how can they mimic those same yeah. good things in their own life? The deepest yearning of the human heart is not for sex. Some of my single friends told me, they're like, Sean, I can live without sex, but I cannot live without intimacy. Yeah. The human heart is wired for relationship with God Mm. and for other people. Now that's going to look different for somebody who's single. And in some ways it's going to raise more difficult challenges than when it comes to marriage. I never want to downplay how many of my single friends have said, this is a battle and it's difficult. And there are painful moments of loneliness, Mm -hmm. but this is what the, the body of Christ is for. Is what's interesting is we're married in heaven, but not to our spouse. We're married because we're the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. Somehow it's one another with the bride of Christ and God directly apart from human marriage that we experience our deepest relational satisfaction. Yeah. That's what singleness is meant to foreshadow into the future. Mm. So good. That. All right, one last question for you, kind of out of the realm of parenting. Um, Say a couple, and this has happened uh, to us, we're counselors, and so a couple comes to you and says, we're married, but I'm not attracted to my spouse. I'm actually attracted to the same sex. I thought getting married would fix this. Mm. Um, How do you approach someone, um, maybe from a, a counseling perspective, but Primarily, my question is from a theological perspective here. So I'm going to say two big things. Number one, recognize that it was a mistake to get married thinking this would change somebody's sexual attraction. Yep. The data doesn't show that that happens. And in some ways, it was not honest, it seems like, to your spouse. Maybe in some cases it was. So the first step before we move forward is recognize the missteps that we've been made so far and cover them with God's grace. Now the question is, what do we do? Well, biblically speaking, you're not unmarried because you don't feel sexual attraction to your spouse. Our culture's like, leave the person because your Mm -hmm. happiness is supreme. (laughs) Bible's like, no, you have committed to this person. And so what I would say, and I realize is easier said than done, is that attraction aside, begin to work on that relationship with your spouse. 
there must be something that attracted you to this person, their personality, wh whatever it is, begin to work on that. You know, the Bible says where your treasure is there, your heart is also. Mm -hmm. Do loving things, say loving things, invest in the relationship. And I'm not going to promise somebody that sexual attraction necessarily comes, but your heart and love for this person and commitment will grow. You're in this marriage. What God wants you to do is to love your spouse sacrificially wow. and to find a way as difficult it is to care for this person amidst your challenges. Yeah grow in intimacy so yeah man. man thank you so much yes thank you so much um where could people find resources on this subject that you found helpful for you can you maybe steer some people that way sure so i wrote a book distinctly called chasing love a biblical mm -hmm. approach to sexuality that intersects with all these issues i'd really encourage mm -hmm. parents not only to read it for their own understanding but read it with their kids probably 12 and up okay. short chapters i read with my daughter we went out to coffee and we just talked about it together that's why i wrote this start these conversations early I've also got a ton of short videos on Instagram. I have some longer videos, probably a dozen plus on how to parent LGBTQ kids. I've had conversations with people who are affirming and I really push back and show what I think scripture shows. Mm -hmm. uh, conversations about theologically about the Bible and LGBTQ conversations. The good stuff is all that stuff is free. So if you just go and you search in on YouTube, my name and LGBTQ or sexuality, some of those will come up and there's a lot of good content there that I think will help parents out. Awesome. Fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes, your Instagram, your YouTube, Chasing Love. You also wrote a book called Same Sex Marriage with John Stone Street. We'll it, put that in there as well. And A Rebel's Manifesto. Do you think that one would also address some of these questions? It does. There's a whole yeah. section there, I think four or five chapters on sexuality, singleness, okay. Uh, cohabitation, pornography, mm -hmm. God's design for sex, transgender, etc. Awesome. We'll put all that in there. We're going to close out this episode the way we close out all of our episodes. And that's by asking you this question. Rewind back to the first couple years of your marriage. What advice do you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank. Dear young married couple. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Honestly, I knew my wife a decade before we got married and it was not that hard for me. I'd be lying if I pretended that it was. So I, I was surrounded by a lot of people, my parents, her parents that gave us support and spoke into us. Mm -hmm. So I think I'd just say, savor every season that you have. When you're first married before you have kids, that's a season. Enjoy it. Enjoy one another. Honor the Lord. When you first have kids, when your kids are in elementary school, when your kids leave, like we find ourselves looking past to the next thing. When you first get married, when I finally have kids, then we have kids, it's like when they're just out of diapers and I can have some sanity. <laughs> Don't look past those moments and enjoy each moment that is there because they're all precious and special in some way. Love that. So good. Good advice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much too just for the work that you do as an apologist and as a clear thinker. Um, I've loved your books. I've read a lot of them and your dad's and yep. you do great work. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Dr. Sean McDowell. Thanks for having me. You guys are super encouraging and ask great questions. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.